With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. You know, my son was born when I was in Afghanistan in 2001. Mm -hmm. And I said, I want to be around to see my kids grow up. And so I got out. I got out of the military early. People thought I was crazy. I was ranked number one in my command, got promoted on the spot, went to the sniper program, and I had this amazing career. I could have done anything, went anywhere, and I decided to get out. I was fried, I was burnt out. And I have this philosophy I've always had since I had my first job when I was 13. If I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, I'm gonna find something else to do. Did you really have that philosophy? Because I feel like, to be honest, I only had that philosophy after I turned 40 years old. I think before then, I was on this eager hunger for money, thinking that once I have X, then I could have that philosophy. FreshBooks is a cloud accounting software that helps you tackle your paperwork faster so you can spend more time building momentum in your business. 192 hours worth of time. 192 hours could save you two working days per month. To get started with a 30-day free trial, go to freshbooks.com forward slash James and put the James Altucher Show in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Today's show is brought to you by our newest sponsor, Zendesk. Think about this. What do Uber, Slack, and Groupon have in common? And I'll tell you, they all use Zendesk to build better customer relationships. With products like a smart knowledge base, live chat, phone support, and ticketing all connected in one place, Zendesk streamlines customer conversations and engagement. Zendesk products are easy to use and implement and built for the long haul. Schedule a demo today and see for yourself. Visit Zendesk.com slash James. That's Zendesk.com slash James. It's almost like these things came out of nowhere. Cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum. A few years ago, they were pennies, and now Bitcoin is over $4,000 a coin. I call these currencies choose-yourself currencies because they don't depend on any institution, any government, any bank to function. And they're just simply exploding in price right now. It's unbelievable. Some have jumped as high as 3,000%, 21,000%, and even a rare 81,000%. Again, it reminds me of things like the dot-com boom in the 90s. Stocks were going up 20, 30% a day. Everyone said it was a rational exuberance, but they kept going for another five years. And some of them are still going. 
So if you're missing out on this boom, don't worry. You're not alone. We're just an inning. I don't know if we're an inning zero anymore, but we're an inning one. Most people are not investing in cryptos simply because they don't even know how to get started. So I decided I want to do something about that. I want to inform everyone listening how to get started. I'm offering a free six-video series masterclass on cryptocurrencies, where I'll walk you step-by-step through the entire process. If you're interested in claiming this free masterclass, please go to altature.io. That's altature.io slash masterclass, where I'll give you all of the details. Random Web, welcome. Thanks, thanks for having me. No yelling at me this time. Oh, did I yell at you last time? Yeah, like boot camp style. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, okay. I'm going to drop and give you well, 20. Well, okay, <laughs> I am, I am going to, there's always something, because I am going to say, you have a new book, it's called Total Focus, Make Better Decisions Under Pressure, and I always, I always hate subtitles. That's the first time I ever looked at that subtitle. It could have just been called Total Focus, yeah, and I, I would have implied, all right, I'm going to make better decisions under pressure. Yeah. But you need it, I get it. The publisher wants you to do it. Um, it's always a dance. And you know, you, you also wrote uh, the bestsellers, The Red Circle and The Killing School. You were on just a month ago, I feel, yeah. about The Killing School, which is, so, so just to give some background, you were in the SEALs, you had a deployment to Afghanistan, you had a deployment to Iraq. When you got back, they asked you, or, or you sort of came up with a, a curriculum, let's make a school to really teach snipers how to do it. And, and that sounds almost... I just want to say that sounds almost like evil. Let's teach people how to <laughs> kill. But there's an important aspect of that too, which is, and you describe it in the very first chapter of this book, it's also when you're in life and death situations protecting not only Americans, but other civilians on the ground, you have to decide when not to pull the trigger. And I feel that was an important part of your school as well. I just want to state that. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's you know, it's, Look, war is an incredibly ugly thing. It's unfortunate that we still have to have a military, but but we do need a military. There's just bad people in the world. But the sniper stuff, um, you know, when you look at deploying like capabilities on the battlefield, a sniper is very efficient and can make that decision, you know, life or death decision. Do I take the shot or not take the shot? Whereas you know, you look at a, a drone strike, maybe we'll take out a primary target, but then you've got this collateral damage of, you know, civilians, which is just never, never a good thing and, and doesn't win any hearts and minds I either. Mean, I feel there's like several layers of that, but I, I do want to get to, because I find this book fascinating, even, I mean, just as fascinating, but I'll say for my purposes, even more fascinating than uh, The Killing School. And obviously your, your memoir, The Red Circle, must read. I think for the point of for people to really like, I'm as far as you can get from being a Navy SEAL. Like, I wouldn't survive 13 minutes <laughs> in Navy SEAL training, and I would. I don't know. I can't. I, I'm. Um. I've written that I'm against all wars, like 100 percent of wars, yeah. and that's no, had I a lot too, of flack. I am. I'm not uh, for war at all. I think war is and. Only once you've experienced it and seen like how ugly and raw and terrible it can be. I mean, I I hope we evolve eventually to where we don't have to to fight wars because it's it's barbaric. I mean, you see that part of human nature that that comes out and and it's scary. So 
I I hope you're right, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about that toward yeah. toward the end of this. But I really like you. You've transformed yourself from Navy SEAL to an extremely successful entrepreneur, and you've had the ups and downs that uh, many people experience through entrepreneurship. You know, tr- you know, when you first get into entrepreneurship, there's all these sort of uh, big dreams of money, but like any skill it's kind of like you go into it not realizing all the subtleties of the skill required for entrepreneurship and you're almost doomed to fail the first couple of times. But then part of the skill is kind of bouncing back and using creativity and network and connections to to build an even better business. And you've succeeded in doing that. And this book, Total Focus, kind of describes how you took the total focus you learned in your SEAL training and applied that to business situations. And I feel like anybody, business or not, entrepreneur or not, can benefit. And I will tell you, I spend a lot of time, and I, I don't mean to talk so much, I wanna, um, I wanna get to the, to the book, but I spend a lot of time each year kind of almost masochistically immersing myself in new uh, skills and ventures just to, just to keep improving. And I and I relate so much to the seven principles of your total focus here because as I'm learning a, a brand new, new skill right now, I'm experiencing every single one of these. With the comedy stuff. Yeah, like yeah. so I'm going and it, and it and it helps my business. So so whenever I learn these new skills, like right now, many of my listeners might know I'm trying to I go up three to four times a week at night uh, and do stand up comedy around the city because it's this incredibly difficult new skill for me. And there's like, and I'm sure you realize this with your SEAL training and with your entrepreneurship, any skill that's worth learning has a hundred different micro skills that are independent of each other. And you have to learn each one to get really great at something. And that's what I'm learning. And that's why this total, this total focus, I kept thinking to myself, man, it reminds me of a, this one entrepreneurship situation I was in and B, what happened to me last night when I was on stage and whatever happened, happened. You know, there's always yeah. a different thing that happens every single time. It's unpredictable. And so I want to go over each of the the principles, but what made you decide um, to to write a book so so quickly after The Killing School, which was a great book, and usually people wait a little while before the, the next big book. Yeah, so good question. The, the Killing School I actually had with a, I'd finished it with a, a publisher at, uh, Penguin, you know, and I turned it in my editor, and the editor, it was a junior editor, really nice guy, and he said, "Look, my publisher wanted more it to be more about Navy SEAL focus and this and that." And as you as you know, it, I feature a bunch of snipers from other parts of the special ops community, and I was really happy with the way the book turned out. They weren't, so I bought it. What? Yeah, I, I was really happy with the way that killing school. And, I, and, I, and by the way, again, as a person who is anti-violence in every way, anti, you know, killing school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it, and so, you know, I said, look, if you don't like it, I'm not. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I feel really good about the piece of work. I bought it back from Penguin and resold it to St. Martin's Press. I went to Mark Resnick, who's become a really good friend of mine who's a senior editor at St. Martin's Press, I let him read the manuscript, told him the situation, and he bought it on the spot. And so because of that, that disrupted the traditional publishing cycle. 
and I ended up, I was already working on Total Focus because I, I wanted to transition. I love entrepreneurship. I love business. I've devoted my life you know, outside the military to this. I've been an entrepreneur now longer than I was a Navy SEAL. And so I wanted to write, to, to share my personal journey and experience of uh, being an entrepreneur, learning all these lessons and applying some, like there's some lessons in the SEAL teams that don't translate well to business. Like you can't screw over everybody in the pursuit of your your mission. I see a lot of guys get out and and they they apply skills that don't translate well to business and create a lot of um, you know enemies in the business community and when you should be fostering relationships. But there are skills that translate, especially in the sniper uh, community. I, you know, I to your earlier point, I was one of the cadre. I don't want to take full credit, but we we looked at how do we improve our sniper program. And what really resonated with me was the positive psychology and mental management aspect. Um, and I developed a really good friendship with uh, Lanny Basham, who wrote an amazing book called With Winning in Mind. And he was a gold medalist, uh, marksman, but one, was supposed to win gold. And I think in the, uh, I think this was in the 70s at Mun the Olympics were in Munich, Germany, and he had been a world champion, was supposed to win gold. He was on this bus and the Russians started chatting to him behind the seat, getting in his head, and he said he completely lost it. Wow. And they were saying, yo, I'm glad I'm not Lanny. The pressure of the, the whole US is on his shoulders. And he started like going his head. Came back from from that experience, went to all these psychologists at the time in the 70s. And it was, it was like, look, I need to get better at, at this self-talk. And the psychologists all wanted to just make him better with being a loser, you know, being second, you being second place. He, he went and ended up uh, shooting the worst match of his life, still won the silver, but had devoted years and years to winning the gold because the Olympics only comes around so often. So he went to all these psychologists, sports psychologists that were just trying to make him okay with being second best. And he said, unacceptable. Let, let, let me ask you about that because while I, on occasion, like therapy, I don't think therapy is, is bad by any means. I think most therapists are really not as skilled as potentially that it is necessary. You're really kind of outsourcing your yeah. your life to them when you see them. But the one thing I see that they're good at artificially, uh, or or maybe there's an artificial goal here, is that they will really want you to make make you feel good about yourself instead of uh, better yeah. about yourself. You know, better than yourself. Exactly. So so because they want to do that because you keep coming back. Like I need like that injection of feeling good because I spent yeah. the whole week feeling bad. Yep. And so that's a way for them to keep clients. So there's a shifting agenda. The therapist is trying to keep the client forever. It's the only doctor where you have to go forever. <laughs> you never get actually quote unquote cured. And the way they do that is to make you feel good about yourself when perhaps in this what he really needed was performance improvement. Yes. And and I personally I use a performance psychologist. She's really good and she wants she's one of the rare ones that wants me out and not to come back. But um the story I'm sharing about Lanny was he, he so he said no, I I don't I want to be a better self. And so he went he had access to the Olympic team. He spent a year surveying the gold medalists and he found these similar traits and they were they were using positive psychology before it was even a thing. And so a big part of that is mental visualization, you know, performing in your head perfectly, even if you know you translate it to speaking in public or stand-up, you can kind of imagine yourself doing this routine 
And then you create contingencies. What if I get a heckler? How am I going to deal with it? And you can rehearse this all in your right. head. And so he came, he was one of our consultants when we were re, redoing the SEAL pro, sniper program. And I, it just really resonated with me. And I built a friendship over the years with him. And so, and that's what I really pushed on the curriculum and influence was like, look, we need to change the way we teach the sniper students to a positive teaching. We need to show them how to self-talk, how to correct any negative self-talk and use positive self-talk. And so those kind of skills are and habits that are what I talk about in Total Focus that do apply, I think, big time in business because we all walk around with self-doubt and stuff creeps in our head. And so developing a habit to, to positively counter that, I think, is incredibly important. But, you know, I'm you know, it's a long story, longer answer to your question. I ended up having two books come out because I bought that book back and published it. And then Portfolio, which published Total Focus, um, you know, Bria is an amazing editor over there. She she was worried. She said, hey, this is kind of like a little close to, to this other book. I said, you know what? Don't worry. It's, I think it's a different category and I have a really awesome, is. awesome fan base. I think one one's a category of like I wouldn't quite call it military history, just like why yeah. I wouldn't call the Red Circle military history, but it will go, go a little closer towards that. And this falls under, you know, kind of self improvement and yeah. and and positive psychology or whatever you want to call it. I I don't know. Yeah, and, and so I'm, you know, and it's my f- journey and along the entrepreneurship path and being unfocused in the beginning, chasing my tail and all these opportunities and. Losing everything, like you, you and I both have a, a significant loss stories. But you know, sharing my journey and and how I got focused, and you know how you know I looked at the principles that I was using myself and put in this book. This isn't a gimmick or some invented things. I'm like these are actual principles that I use every day in my life. Right, and now I mean, at you know, your your the company's name is Hurricane Group, but. But you started off with the website softrep.com, S-O-F-R-E-P.com, which is a great website, you know, on military news, SEAL news, current events, and so on. I encourage people to check it out. Foreign you policy, have, too. We're big on foreign policy news. Yeah. So uh, you have lots of products. You have everything from books, podcasts, websites. You're a real media company. You've you've flirted with different offers for acquisitions and investment and so on. Um and and I can see you've really used these principles, which we're, which we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about each one of the seven. But um, let's go back to the to the loss for a second, because I feel like, well, first off, there's a lot of vets, like as you mentioned, coming out of the military, they have no idea what to do next, and and often that first failure in quote unquote the real world is really sends them off on a spiral, yeah. which they can't come out of. And I think it's just a shame. I don't want to. I think it's a cliche to say how the government treats its vets because I don't know. I don't know why that's a cliche. It's just everyone says it. But I think I think vets need to take a little bit more responsibility. The government's net. It's like saying, I "Oh, I, I, Amtrak treats their customers really poorly." Yeah, it's like yeah. you can't expect the government to. The government's the one who sent you over there. The government's not going to take care of you when you get back. So they don't care. And so you, you, a book like this and and a business like yours really shows people, okay, here's how you take care of yourself. But but let's talk about your loss. Like so so you dabbled in one of the first things you did from what I understand is you dabbled in some real estate. What 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 happened? Yeah, I was I've always loved real estate. My 
dad was in construction his whole life. Um, he ended up being a developer. And I remember reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that got me in the military. I said, well, you know what? I need to start saving. And I want to buy a rental property. So I, I bought a rental property, uh, you know, fixed it up on the side and rented it out uh, near, in Ocean Beach, uh, San Diego. I ended up being a fourplex um, on Del Monte Avenue. For those of you familiar with uh, Ocean Beach, San Diego, it was amazing property. Flipped it, made a bunch of money. And what year was this? This was probably right during the housing boom before it all went so, to hell. So you had um, two thousand. You had some benefits. Yeah, of this a win is probably. Back. Yeah, this was. Yeah, for sure. I was. I was buying apartment buildings. You know, multifamily residential in a in a boom. Like I would, you know, in a year or two, just massive increases in in equity and then flip it. And then trade it up, you know, trade it up into a bigger, bigger property. I actually was so frustrated with the lack of professionalism in the real estate agents because everyone was jumping on the real estate bandwagon, right? Like you, you know, I think to be a hairdresser requires more training to be a real estate agent in California. So I remember, particularly at that time. Well, yeah. that might be true now, yeah. also, but I think at that time. They were just throwing licenses at everyone because, yeah. and everybody wanted one because there was so much money there. So I, I ended up getting my license. I took, I studied real this principles of real estate course online, read this whole book, and took my test and got my license and started buying my own my own properties. Did really well, um, you know. Did I got one property I got short and had to short sell, which is What's humbling. Um, I had to sell at a loss. And why why did why did that happen? Because the the housing market crashed. And okay, I was, so this is like now two thousand six, two thousand seven. This would have been two thousand six. So by the way, it's just interesting. I, I want this has nothing to do with this podcast, but I want my readers to note the or listeners the housing market actually crashed in two thousand six, but the stock market crashed in two thousand eight. It wasn't because this is totally off a ta- on a tangent. Yeah, the stock Wall Street and the financial system didn't crash because of the housing market crashed. The housing market goes through its ups and downs, but it was the invention of all these financial derivatives and the mad rush of almost, well, literally trillions of dollars betting on houses on top of the normal housing market that caused the financial market to crash. Anyway. Yeah, no, and, and I, you know, speaking of that, I think we're we're in for another housing correction, I think in the next 18 months. That's probably true because I actually think Housing business is probably an interesting business. So yeah. I'm like, for housing, I am the reverse correlator. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I had, so I had made this money in real estate and had a nest egg. And when I decided to get out, I got in. I did some contracting part time when I I got out of the SEAL teams in 2006 because I was fried. I was burnt out. And I have this philosophy of I've always had since I had my first job when I was 13. If I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, I'm going to find something else to do. Did you really have that philosophy? Because I feel like, to be honest, I only had that philosophy after I turned 40 years old. I think before then, I was on this eager hunger for money, thinking that once I have X, then I could have that philosophy. And it turned out it was not having your philosophy, you just said, of of always doing what you enjoy doing that caused me I had this skill set for making money, but then it would always cause me to lose all my money because I didn't, I wasn't grounded somehow yeah. in doing what I enjoy doing. You only have one life, and that life has to be grounded in in, in enjoyment, or else your life dies. It, so 
I think I was fortunate to learn at a young age. I had, remember one of the first jobs I had was to clean up basically an after-school janitor for this boat's shop in Ventura Harbor because my parents and I, um, we lived on a sailboat. And I would have to mop this place and clean, and I hated it. It was just a miserable Your job. parents, and you totally lived on a sailboat? Yeah, no, we had a 47-foot catch named Agio. And my sister, myself, my black cocker spaniel dog, we all lived on this this boat. And you left the <laughs> sailboat every day to go to school? Yeah, yeah, which is kind of, it was, looking back, very cool. But at the time, you're... You're kind of in California living on a sailboat. You're the boat kids. And so you kind of get uh, made fun of at school. So, bit. like instead of like the trailer park, yeah. you're the boat kids. Yeah, I was the boat kids. So, um, but it was a great lifestyle. And, you know, it, it was practical from my parents. They want, they loved sailing. They wanted to do this, you know, series of big sailing trips, which we did. Um, but it was also a cheap way to live. You know, it was a very inexpensive way to live. And my dad had lost a company built from scratch, a construction business in Canada. And so he was kind of dealing with his own rebuilding phase. But did he rebuild? He did. It took him a long time. His relationship to money, you know, it took him a long time to get over that. You know, and, and I learned a lot from that growing up as a kid, seeing, you know, seeing how it, how it affected him. So when you first had that failure, so you, so my guess is that short selling of that first house kind of led to more and more, as it will, led to more and more deeper failures. Did you ever feel like your life was going to run parallel to your dad's and you were scared of that? I think there's always, I always harbor a little bit of, you know, that like I don't want to end up and be like my father. Like there's some very positive things I take away from, from that experience. So I always try to learn from it and, and be different. Like I have a very different relationship to money than he does to this day. Um, but to back up real quick, I, I had this sh crappy job and then got this amazing job working on the scuba diving boat and got to dive the most incredible spots in the Channel Islands. And it was a tough job, but it I love what I did. I had so much fun doing it. And I said, this is what I want to do. I, I want to have jobs like this. And and I've always had that philosophy. I went to the Navy, became a SEAL, and had a great run. Ten, you know, almost ten years. And but it, when it stopped being fun, and it started to create stress in my life. And Why? I, uh, I had I could see I was having uh, problems. I was in my marriage. I was deployed all the time. I had lost touch with you know my wife, my kids, you know, my, my son was born when I was in Afghanistan in 2001. Mm. And I said, I want to be around to see my kids grow up. And so I got out, I got out of the military early. People thought I was crazy. I had, I was meritoriously promoted to E6, which is a rank, was, was ranked number one in my command, got promoted on the spot, went to the sniper program, God, I was working in a job that was a, was supposed to be filled by a senior rank than I was, and so I got instantly, you know, first time up for chief petty officer, got promoted to that, and had this amazing career. I could have done anything, went anywhere, and I decided to get out. And people thought. I remember we have a a guy that um, is in charge. We call it a detailer. He picks where people go next. They assign jobs. He he thought I was leveraging for a better position. <laughs> I said, no, I'm out of here. And so I left in 2006. And I had built up, you know, I'd had a large um, success in the real estate investing. I'd lost the one property to short sale 
but still had a nice nest egg and had this idea as a trainer, seeing how the military and law enforcement community in Southern California had a shortage of areas to train, and that's driver training, to, to train to drive an ambulance or a fire truck. They just didn't have anywhere to go. They'd have to rent a, a stadium parking lot you know, where the San Diego football team played. So I said, I'm going to build this massive training facility out in the desert, and it's going to solve all the law enforcement military's problems. And similar... Uh, can I ask, when you... When yeah. you that? That sounds like a great idea, yep. but let me ask you before you made one, you know, with every great idea, I always feel like, how do you boil that down into an easy first step? So an easy first step would have been to go to, let's say, the San Diego police chief, yep. where you were, in, you were in San Diego, you had a relationship with them just because the Navy is all over San Diego, yeah. so they're going to take a meeting, right? Yeah. You could have said, hey, if I do this, would you use it? That would have been an e that would, in my mind. That would have been an easy first step, which I did, and in, in probably out of order. <laughs> the first thing I did was write a business plan, which provided a lot of learning for me. I didn't know how to read a financial statement, and I didn't want to get into the the P and L and the numbers. And I had a a friend of mine, Randy, is like. Because you don't want to do it, you need to do it. You need to learn. And, and once you learn how to read a financial statement, it's basic arithmetic, you know? Yeah. I look at it now, I'm like, it's basic addition, subtraction, but it's but a lot of, a intimidating. Lot of people, a lot of people, like I've never learned or read a book on how to read a financial statement. But when you're running a business, um, you want to know how the business is doing. And there's many ways to slice the numbers of a financial statement. There's uh, how much cash is coming in versus how much cash is going out. There's also how much revenue have we booked in deals versus how much we're spending and how fast is that revenue coming? Anyway, there's yeah, yeah, to make the point, management. It, oh. it actually helps you become a better businessman even if you don't have a formal education on it. Absolutely, and it's very it's not hard to learn. It's you got to put in the work. But I so writing this business plan, developing a financial model, really taught me a, a ton. And then I got partners. I chose poorly on the partner side and and I, I think it's important to say just when I say I chose poorly it doesn't it's not a ding on my partners I just no not at all it's they're a, smart capable it's a ding on you <laughs> it's a ding on me and I we didn't have complementary skill sets we had conflicting skill sets uh, and we had no chemistry and that's like you know relate personal relationships always not going to end well and so and I think that's an important lesson I talk about in Total Focus is yes. being choosing partners better and, and doing due diligence because people are so eager to just, you know, jump into bed and and then, you know, and they're like, oh God, what just happened? I'm I'm in a, you know, I've split a company 50-50 with this person <laughs> and I want a divorce now. And it's a it's a nightmare. Oh my God, it's happened to me so many times. <laughs> but um Me too. Uh you know you you kind of you you mentioned this a lot in the book, but I really want to stress people are everything. Like you need a product for the people to kind of focus around and, and but that product often shifts. The people often don't. And when you start a business, it's not like oh me and a product and some customers, there are so many stakeholders in that business that you have to treat equally and think about and think several moves ahead about. Of course, there's the customers, but there's also your employees, there's your partners, there's investors, there's potential acquirers, there's your family. There's a lot of stakeholders in what you're doing and you have to think about 
all of them if you want to have a successful business. And I think you, you cover that well in this in this book. I think that's that's more important than the product itself. Because yeah. as we know, products can shift. You've you've shift, get, shifted your latest business several times. I don't want to use the word pivot because you because so, sometimes shift is a better word than yeah, pivot. You, it's I not agree. like you changed one hundred percent your business. Yeah, I agree. But um, okay, so so sorry. Go go ahead. So, um, so my my this business plan that I was writing was to do this training facility that lets law enforcement government use you know a facility in the desert to do driver training, shooting training, um, and so I made this plan, but didn't have, it was like a product, right? Like great plan on paper, but we needed land. So I ended up searching for land and found a thousand acres that was well-suited. We thought it would, could, could get through a county planning process and the permitting and got the land. Then we started to raise money because we actually had something tangible now. When you say you got the land, what does that mean? We, uh, we purchased it with an owner carry. So we put, I put some money down we added in contract, and then we went out, started raising money, mostly friends and family. And you know, over a few years, we raised close to four million dollars the hard way, like all angels. Uh, wow. We had a small private equity company make an investment. Um, what were we doing in the meantime while you were raising this money? So we were raising money and, and learning the hard way what it's like to take a piece of raw land through an entitlement or planning process which is expensive. Just to do the environmental study in California, we had to give the county planning department $250,000 and they were they ran a bid to go pick an environmental company to do the this impact report, environmental impact report called an EIR. We couldn't pick who did the report. You know, we had no choice. We just had to write the big check. And and, and once, this is all before you have San Diego saying or LA or whoever saying we're going to send all our drivers to learn in well, your facility. We, we actually did through the along the way we got every major law enforcement agency in the, the county of San Diego and the county of Imperial County and Imperial County was just over the the county line if you drive east from San Diego into the desert. Um, it was about an hour 45 minutes to our property but it was just over the county line. Imperial County was is still, I think, the poorest county in the nation, like extremely high unemployment. But they have a massive uh, border patrol agency because they're right on the, the Mexican border. A lot of law enforcement. The, the community is actually a really, really neat community out there. And we had gotten every police chief behind us. And, uh, you know, fast forward, three and a half years later, we got, uh, unanimous through the planning commission. It went to the county supervisors. These board of supervisors had to vote. They voted four to five in favor. A month later, um, the Sierra Club chapter of the San Diego, and they were really contentious. I, 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 I like a lot of the values of the Sierra Club, protecting the environment, that's all good, but they this chapter turned political and they saw us as like the antichrist of the military establishment. But at the same time, the goal of better training of like an ambulance driver, a police driver, uh, a police shooter, the ultimate goal is to save lives so that they're more accurate and they don't endanger people on the street and, and they get people to hospitals faster or to, you know, or they yeah. chase people without killing people. The big problem was a book called Blackwater came out. And I'm friends with the author, uh, Jeremy Scahill. It was about Eric Prince and this massive contracting company. And they Blackwater had a facility on the East Coast. 
and they tried to do something in San Diego the same time we were doing our project, and they got just basically thrown out of San Diego so, so by what, protesters. And we were seen as this like shadow front for Blackwater because Eric Prince, the founder, was a SEAL, but he's a billionaire SEAL. He inherited a billion dollars from his auto parts uh, empire that his father left him. And we ended up getting the project approved and then the Sierra Club sued the county for the environmental report, which put the project in kind of a two, four-year delay. And our investors, this was in two, right around 2009 and the markets crashed. It was just a mess. Nobody wanted to put money behind this thing. And so, long story short, I, I had to walk away from from this entire what what that morning you're making the decision what did that what did that look like how do you make the decision to walk away from something you've poured years of your life into you've poured your own money into you got friends and family money in it and you have to tell them hey it's not working out like what 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 made you decide or not made you decide because obviously the situation did but just what was that morning like it was it was rough i remember having a conversation with my lawyer and friend John Tischler um, who had invested in the project himself and he we had this conversation around look this I, he said I see entrepreneurs this happens all the time just because you have a failure doesn't mean you're you're a quitter because that was what I was struggling with the, mm. the distinction between again interesting how it's personal and internal rather than a matter of dollars and cents yeah I, and I had this thing like, wow, I've failed. I felt like a quitter and a loser. And then I, what I realized having this conversation and realizing I have to let it go was the light came on and I said, wait a minute, this is like, I've learned so much. Like, it's terrible. It, it's not a pleasant thing to lose your parents' money, your, you know, your friends' money, your money, your time, three and a half years. But I said, you know what? I have learned so much in this process and about just running a business, financing a business. I had the skills to go out and borrow money from the SBA to buy a cash flowing business if I wanted to. I, I saw that in, in the book and I, I don't want to go over the details of that, but I think it's really fascinating that everyone thinks, oh, I have an idea. Now I'm going to get venture capital. You sort of show in this book, there's lots of ways to, to raise money and money should not be an obstacle to starting a business with a good idea. Yeah, so absolutely. I think that's a great point. We still haven't even gotten to the <laughs> principles of total focus, but that's because I do want to kind of say that uh, I want you to continue with what, what you did at yeah. at actual bottom. Like, yeah. like, did you cry that day as opposed to, along with having that conversation with John? Um, I didn't cry that day, but, you know, a month you know, in this period, it was about, I want to say a month later. It's just a, you know, it's tough to recall exactly, but. You blacked it out. Yeah, probably. But, you know, my, you know, I'm not going to, I'll be completely honest. My wife and I were really working hard on the marriage. We were in counseling. You know, we had both done things to each other over the years that we regretted. And, and so we were trying to work through this. And I was coaching Little League and, and really enjoying being a dad and living in this beautiful house in San Diego. And then I remember we were we were in counseling and the moment that she said, look, I just don't want to be married to you. Like, I respect you. I always love you. You're the father of my children. 
but I just know what I want and you're not that you're not it. Like I don't want I want kind of a nine to five guy. You're an entrepreneur, you got all these crazy ideas. <laughs> and you know, and I I But you were a nine to five guy during part of this time. Like you would work for as I, I didn't even quite understand what you were doing, but you said you yeah. worked for a major defense guy. Well, like, that was after I I ended up having to take a a regular kind of nine to five job after which I did not. I learned a lot, but I did not like. It wasn't what I. What does a guy I, like you do, do for a, a, a defense contractor? I'm just curious. Yeah, so um, I'll finish real yes. quick, and then I'll get right into that. But I, you know, so my wife says I'm leaving, and by the way, school starts in less than a month, so I'm taking the kids up to my parents' ranch, and I was here. I am alone in a three bedroom house. Had to break a lease. Have all the conversations with the neighbors deal with losing everything and then i have this responsibility right like i still have to provide for my for my children how and, long did it go before you how regular were you seeing them i mean i was every day i mean i was coaching like i said no, so i mean after she moved um i would see him you know for, there was times it would be probably a couple times a month so that was tough and i had it's to hard, i had man. to let go cuz i legally she couldn't do it but i did we you have to be friends yeah i said you know what happy mom happy kids so we i made all these decisions to you know to make sure that she was taken care of and happy cuz the kids needed a happy mother um and we worked through so much that i think we both developed this mutual respect for each other and and saw how our kids bounced back because we both really told them that we loved them and and so i think there's a lot of lessons in that and divorce and and you do need two parties that will work together on that but we had a great divorce, and our kids are amazing. We st- we're great friends to this day. I had the last two Thanksgivings I've had with her husband and the kids at my friend's farm in Oregon, like but, all of us together. But that moment, because I've been through it before, it's yeah. it's weird how we have some parallels. That moment when you're both experiencing business failure, real estate failure, and that thought that oh my gosh, I might not be there when my kids having a nightmare in the middle of the night. Yeah, like that brutal. is just really the most depressing yeah, it was, moment. For it me was, it was. Oh, yeah, completely depressing. I had to make I had to adjust my whole life to be a different kind of father and to this mm-hmm. day, you know, it's like I I have a different you know, it's not a traditional relationship but it works and I see my friends who are divorced that see their kids much more than I do, but it's, you know, the the quality of time maybe isn't there and it's they're still in an adversarial relationship with an ex and and it's just you know i have a really really great relationship with their mom her husband and, and my kids and the so, time we do spend is super high quality so you're on the ground everything's at its worst moment in every way you've got like the trifecta of bad things happening not to mention global events yep. in 2009 nobody knew everybody thought capitalism there was a slight chance it might tipsy over and yeah. and die and the world was going to change and you know and we're still in these ugly wars and just everything bad is happening how do what's the first step off the ground and then and then finally we're going to get into the principles of total focus yeah so you know the first reality that i had was like i need to go get a job so it's a, so it's a need thing it's yeah. like you have you force yourself because you have to you can't give up you can't yeah. say oh forget it, I'm giving up. I had made a decision that I was going to rebuild and either buy a business or start one. Like that decision was made. I said, I have the skill sets. 
and I talk about this in, in the book as well, embrace the suck. It's looking at adversity as a chance to learn and grow and that there's all these valuable lessons rather than get caught up in the negative negativity and the self, negative self-talk. So I had this you know, story I was telling myself now, like, look, I've learned these lessons. I'm going to do this. I can do this. But I need to take a job and rebuild my savings, pay off some bills. <laughs> Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. To all the freelancers listening right now, if you could reclaim up to 192 hours a year of your precious time, would you? If you're doing the math, 192 hours could save you two working days per month. Luckily, our friends at FreshBooks makes ridiculously easy cloud accounting software for freelancers. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. If that's not enough incentive, the FreshBooks platform has been rebuilt from the ground up. They've taken simplicity and speed to an entirely new level and added powerful new features. And if you're not using FreshBooks yet, now would be the time to try because FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for all of my listeners. No credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash James and enter the James Altucher Show in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Relationships are complicated. Just keeping up with the people we love can be hard work. And when it comes to customers, it can be even tougher. That's why Zendesk, our newest sponsor, thank you, Zendesk, builds software to help businesses build better customer relationships with products like a smart knowledge base, live chat, phone support, and ticketing all connected in one place. Zendesk streamlines customer conversations. I can't tell you how important this is. You have to have everything on one dashboard or else you lose track of what your customers want and need. Turns out only 25% of customers choose the phone as the first channel for reaching customer service. That means that 75% would rather reach out via chat, email, social media, or help themselves in your knowledge base. In Zendesk, every channel you'd need is baked right in, all tied to the same analytics and reporting. And best of all, your agents can seamlessly switch between channels without having to end the conversation. And don't worry, more channels doesn't mean an unmanageable stream of tickets. Companies using Zendesk solve 39% of their customer support questions on the first response. Oh, very important. And Zendesk likes to keep it sweet with its own customers too, with a 95% customer satisfaction score to prove it. For your in-laws, you're on your own. But for your customers, try Zendesk. Schedule a demo today and see for yourself. Visit Zendesk.com slash James. That's Zendesk.com slash James. By the way, the chapter Embrace the Suck, I would say that's probably my favorite chapter in the book uh, <laughs> because it's not about uh, okay, I have to get through this and then learn from it. It's like, okay, this is happening right now and I've got to turn this mush into something positive. Yeah. A lot of people think, oh, I'm going through a hard thing, but then I'm going to get out of it and I'm going to learn from the failure and or or not. Like a lot of people can't embrace the suck and they just sort of die with it and, and, and change their lives in a negative way because of it. But I think uh, Stephen Colbert, you know, 
the talk show host just had yeah. a an uh uh an interview I think it was either in Vanity Fair or Esquire where he talks about where he used to do improv and stand up and so on and sometimes no matter what you you bomb okay of course I'm reading this because I'm trying to learn this skill set it's not like it, what he said then was is exactly what you say here he said you've got to he said you've got to uh, enjoy the bomb. You say embrace the suck. It's not like he's going to get through it and then analyze it later. He said you have to fully get into it. And he says enjoy it. You say embrace it. Maybe talk about that a little more. Like when things are bad and you're just at your worst moment, it's hard to say to yourself, oh my gosh, I'm alive. And this is what happens to people who are alive. It's not always great. Sometimes it's really bad. And I'm going to figure out how to embrace this. Like, how do you embrace it? It's it's your attitude around when things aren't going right. I think is the is a, the habit, like changing your habit to get into the habit of when things aren't going right, something happens. Whether and I'll two quick examples. We were doing, we did this big uh, UK versus US special operations boxing match last year in London. Sold out a van at your call. And my guys were live streaming it. It's the first time we did a live stream event on Facebook, and sh- um, shit was going down. <laughs> it was like we had connectivity issues, and we'd rehearse this a day in advance, and stuff started to go to blow up. And my guys were freaked out. My media guys, because they're I'm there, like the boss, like, and they're I could see my media director Nick was just losing it. And I said, like, "Look, take a deep breath." calm down. I was like, nothing ever goes to plan. Like, we're just going to learn from this and get better next time. So don't worry. Like, just don't worry about it. You just do what you got to do to salvage whatever you can. And it was that seeing like the physical change in his body when I told him that and it was okay to, to be dealing with all this stuff. He just changed. and was like, thank you. And he, and he was able to f- clear everything out and focus on the task. So there was that. That's an example. Um, and I've talked with you a lot about this, but I, my 13-year-old daughter read something terrible somebody had said about me on social media. And I got upset initially. And then I would stop myself and I said, wait a minute, this is a really good chance to take this opportunity to teach her a life lesson. Because she's she's an artist. She's into making her own movies in school now. And, and I, I said, look, this is going to happen in life. Like you're always, anytime you want to do something, there will always be people that just aren't in a good place that will say and do things to kind of distract you. And you've got to learn to deal with it. Like it just happens. And so I had this incredible learning experience that I, I turned this crappy situation into a, a positive. And, and well, well I, I think the, the key words there is uh, this is a really good chance. And it's not just to teach her a lesson. But for you, it taught you a lesson. It's like, okay, I can get really angry about this because I don't want my 13-year-old daughter listening to this, so I'm going to yeah. get really angry at whoever yeah. said that. But you instead said, okay, I'm not going to get... It's not about that person who said whatever stupid thing he said. It's about you transforming it into something that... that it's you knowing that you're allowed to transform it into something positive as opposed yeah. to viewing it as... It's life's out of our control. Things are out of our control all the time. Yeah. And so you, you have, like I, I've had a, a, a horrible thing happen to me once, just, just a couple of years ago or a year and a half ago. And instead of saying, oh my gosh, why do these horrible things keep happening to me? I said, look, no matter where you are in life, 
horrible things happen. That's just life. And I said the same thing you said. This is a really good chance, X. Like yeah. in my case, X was, I write about all these things I always do when I am on the ground struggling and crying and whatever. This is a really good chance again for me to see if it works. And it did. And that's an important lesson for me. Yeah. So it's it, this is a really good chance too is good words to remember. Absolutely. I dislocated my shoulder skiing in March in the French Alps. And oh, look at you, French Alps <laughs> skiing, UK versus US boxing, uh, and your media empire. It was a part of this. Do you have a pen? I want to write down all these totally elitist things Brandon is saying. Yeah, I'm an elitist. Yeah. <laughs> so I, devastating injury. I couldn't tie my own shoes for two weeks. But I said, How'd you go to the bathroom? That was tough. I had to learn how to wipe my butt with my left hand, essentially. Um, (laughs) um, But you were in France, so you had a bidet. Yeah, France, which I did have a bidet, so that made things easier. But I mean, it was tough. It was a tough injury. I was right in the middle of shooting a documentary called Big Mountain Heroes, which to your point earlier was about changing the narrative of veterans being victims and getting prescribed all this pain medication at the VA. It was the message was, hey, pull your socks up. You have all these skills. You can use the outdoors and alternative therapy as opposed to just feeling down and and buying into this victim mentality. At the What's the documentary VA. called? Big Mountain Heroes. And where can someone see it? Uh, they can see the trailer right now on YouTube, and the film will be out in November. I'll invite you to the screening. Oh, I'd love in to October. go to that. It'll yeah, be at Soho House in October. Uh, so it's a amazing project and I'm right in the middle of this and with my bum shoulder now and but I said you know what I'm I'm just going to get through this and 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 then at the time I was really getting into learning about so back to your point like, this is a good chance for me now to like dig in and really learn about paid acquisition on social media I really want to understand how these these ad campaigns are created on Facebook the whole CAC to LTV ratio, the customer acquisition cost to lifetime value. And so I started, I was like, all very important I'm gonna, things. Yeah, I was like, I now I can, you know, I can't go out and, and ski. I'm going to read and just get into this and learn it. Particularly like, what, what year was this again? This was this year. Yeah. So, so I always view there's like old school ad agencies, which is like, oh, we'll make your company a big brand, we'll make a TV spot, a radio spot, a, a print spot. But the modern ad agency, which is what you were starting to define just there, really has to understand lifetime value of a reader, of an email subscriber, of a paid subscriber, how to acquire those subscribers. It doesn't matter if you're a big brand or a small brand. Yep. So what you were learning there is critical, essentially for any company, but particularly for any agency or media company. That's very important stuff. And there was, I went through two agencies before we found one that actually could do what they said they could do. Because and that's why they, uh, you had to find one that actually understood that that was the modern agency. Yeah, because you can't, this stuff you can't learn in a class at Harvard right. or any of these colleges. Um, our guy that runs our program today is self-taught, very smart, young, um, young kid that really understands it and is now training up a team. What's the most important thing you've learned someone needs to know in terms of this sort of modern customer acquisition stuff? You have, so you have to know your numbers, right? We talk about the, the P&L. And so monitoring your, your customer acquisition costs, and our, I'll be honest with the audience, our 
acquisition cost is $60 on average for a, a, um, about a $360 customer. And and when you say a three, uh, what are you acquiring? You're acquiring a customer who's going to buy product from you, not, Over, just a, 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 not just a viewer of your website, yep. someone who he's, actually is going to buy he's product. He's going to subscribe to one or more digital products. He may have bought our, we have the gear club for men called the Crate Club. He he may buy a a crate club, but we're counting on him to to either. Okay, what's in, what was in last month's crate club? Because this is a great business. Yeah, last so our premium was this incredible. Um, our most popular product today was this med kit that was designed by a special ops medic. So it has everything. If you were taking a world trip and wanted a, a medical kit that you could put in your suitcase and have and and basically treat anything that comes up from a like suture yourself up rambo style or just a basic we call it a boo boo kit it's the you know the band-aids the the bacitration antibiotic ointment this thing is amazing like airways you know we provided instructions on how to like self treat so that that was one of our how items. much space does that take up in the carry on bag i'm sorry to go off on this tangent yeah wanna, not much I I buy mean, one. yeah yeah we can but it can't take can't, can't take up too much space in my carry on bag it's not, not the bag. bag is like this big okay it's very small i'll i'll hook you up okay yeah, good. i'll get you one so um so you know back to the lifetime value this it's the lifetime value of this customer he may go away and come back but we're counting on him to be around and spend about 360 dollars so, so on what average. that tells you is if you know the lifetime value of a customer is $360, you could spend some percentage of that, like let's say $100 or $150 or even $362 to get that customer. Absolutely. So, and, and it's a profitable and, customer. You know, I run my business um, very differently because we're not venture backed. You know, I've I built it, you know, on my own. And so we're running it out of cash flow. There's companies like my friend Matt Meeker, who I talk about in yes. Total Focus also. Matt is venture backed. His amazing business with BarkBox. It's the dog subscription box company. They will spend nearly up to their customer value to convert because they want to convert customers more quickly. Um, I talked to my other friend Nick Ganju. Nick Ganju founded. Uh, he co-founded Zocdoc. Amazing guy, and he was telling me like, because he he respects what I do. He says, "Look, I respect that you're." growing a business and really focused on the bottom line have been in the black since day one which we have the benefits and, of being non-venture backed by the way because you really learn that sell sales can solve a lot of problems and yeah. i see and you're not asking for welfare from venture capital yes and that's what it is you hit it on the head it's like I, so many young entrepreneurs today use raising money as a form of welfare and it's like look you can sell your way out of this like come up with a product and sell it like Sales and revenue actually solves a lot of problems. I mean, my first venture back company, I've started a lot of companies. My very first one was we had no venture. I didn't even know what the word venture capitalist means. So we meant, so we were profitable from day one. My second company, I was more quote unquote sophisticated. And so we raised $30 million. And man, I spent that money so fast. We yep. ended up we probably ended up raising close to a hundred million overall. And then we went out of business. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and so you know, I'm spending to acquire customers pro- at a profit. Like we we spend a dollar on Facebook, we we hope we not hope, but we make three four dollars in return, and we spend six figures on Facebook. I, I wish I could spend seven because uh, we keep those ratios in order. I was talking to my friend Nick Ganju, and he's like, "This is how crazy it gets, Brandon." And you know, and Zocdoc is has a billion dollar valuation. It's a great business, 
and Nick was like, this is what I see and how crazy it is. People will, they'll say their customer, let's say their customer value is $500. And they'll say, but our valuation is going to be 10, 15x. So they'll, they'll take a 10, 15x on their customer value and spend up to that. Maybe not over it, but they're, that's how like crazy these people get when the venture capital world and, and acquiring customers because they're basically buying revenue. Well, well, that's just it. I mean, in you look at like a classic case is 2000 or 1999 where the entire market capitalization of the stock market was based on eyeballs rather than profits. And... You know, ultimately, that that the what the tide comes in, yeah, you see everyone exactly. who's naked. Yeah. And I really encourage people not to. Re- so, so a week ago, uh, I was in this very same room, and I was doing a podcast for Gimlet Media called The Pitch, where it was like uh, it was four of us investors and entrepreneurs would pitch us, and some were great, worthy of investments, others not so much. But I would say, look, you have a great idea, and you're building it. Why don't you instead of raising money at a five million dollar valuation, why don't you sell it for five million, get rich, and start your next company? Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's <laughs> often a viable good idea. But everybody, we get into this like VC kind of Silicon Valley like hype culture, and it's just that's a, a path only a few people should take. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. I see so many people. They just like, I'm going to get funding. I was like, wait a minute, why are you getting funding? Like, you have a business plan. Everything is in place to go sell the product and make money. Like, just go sell and make a business. Like, so, how did you get dollar one? And, and by the way, we've only talked about one of your seven principles. We've talked about embrace the suck. Yeah. And I want to kind of underline um, this is not one of your seven principles, but when you say this is a really good chance to, I think yeah. that's an important thing that yeah. almost should be included in your principles. Yeah. But we've talked about embrace the suck, but but we're gonna get and we're gonna gradually get through them. But uh, how did you make dollar one of profit with softrep.com? So softrep, um, we made our first money. I before I launched the site, I was to and then I'll answer your question earlier. Like, what does a guy do at a defense company? So I got this job at a defense company. They specialize in communications. They had meaning. Um, so radios, like radios, signals, intercepts. So these boxes that would suck in cell phone signals, radio signals, triangulate the signal and get a position and, and then figure out where the enemy's at. And so they had a classified program. So I, they needed somebody that had a, uh, a top secret clearance or could get a top secret clearance. And they needed their customer was a special operations command and they needed somebody that could relate to the end user and then come back to the engineering department and stop the engineering department from spending millions of dollars on, we call it IRAD, internal research and development, on on maybe upgrades or components of the product that weren't going to be viable or useful in the field. Because engineers are great. They, they love to invent crazy stuff, but I'm like, look... You know, for one, don't put that button over here. It's going to snag on your on your backpack. Um, two, you know, we don't need that mod. Nobody, it's just not useful to guys. And so I would act as that interface, keep the end users happy. You know, and this contract was worth forty million dollars a year to the, to this company. And and then, you know, I was a business development executive, so I, as a director, would would map out 
you know, how do we grow this business, keep it in place, and then what are the other opportunities? And so I would, for instance, they had been trying to get into the Predator drone. That drone is like valuable real estate. And General Atomics makes the drone, but they don't make a lot of their own technologies that go on the, the drone, whether it's the cameras, the sensors. And so we wanted to get integrate some of the technology on the drone. And they've been trying to get a meeting for General Atomics for for a long time. And like everything, most things in business, it's relationship-driven. I had known Lyndon Blue Jr., who was the head of the Predator program. He was the, um, you know, the founding brothers of General Atomics. So I knew the son. I had a friend that was in the SEAL community that was working as an executive there. So I got us in a meeting within a couple months and like in the pipeline for what, you know, will probably turn out to be, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. So so having that relationship built up perhaps over a, a, a decade or more of building relationships, you had this one that essentially provided you uh, with a good job and income for at least a year. Yeah, I, had, I was making more money than I ever made in my life. Um, I had an incredible uh, boss. Um, she I, I was a, she was a girl boss, but it grew up in in the defense industry as a female. Was it and just had learned so much, but felt like a caged animal. Like I would go on these trips, bring back these amazing opportunities, you know, and and then I would, you know, come to the office maybe an hour late because I'm like, look, I just got back from the East Coast. I mean, like, where are you? You have to be at the office and in a suit in the cubicle or, or I actually was fortunate to have my own office, but I'm just like, come on. It's, to me that I'm like, I'm, I'm not, it's not about being busy. It's about what you're producing as results. And that's another th- thing I talk about in Total Focus was it's a big difference between just being busy and actually getting stuff done, um, working smarter, not harder. And, and, and so I just wasn't, I knew within six months that, that that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I started, I was running a blog on the side as a passion project. And I saw an opportunity to create this special ops website in 2012, called up some relationships I had. I was running a blog for military.com called KidUp and grew it to their top top blog in a very short period of time. What was What was your focus as opposed to the other blogs on the site? Um, so the biggest one at the time was defense tech. Um, so it was all defense technology. I just was telling. I realized that when I told a equipment story and related it to a like a Navy SEAL experience, or had one of my other writers that I recruited talk about it, you know, in there, like tell a story about this piece of equipment, it went crazy. Like, you, you know, and I, I just want to I want to stress that too. Like I feel like there's all these things, all these valuable insights, ancillary. To the seven principles of total focus, we're getting out of focus yeah. on total focus. But we're, <laughs> yeah. we're always going to get to them. Yeah. But um, I was uh, giving a talk at Columbia the other day, and my my daughter, my fifteen year old daughter, came to watch it. And after the talk, I, being insecure, I asked her how how did it go, how did it, how did it do, and she's like, "It's always so great and so interesting when you tell the actual stories. Like people don't remember." The human brain's not really meant to remember facts. Like if you just say, oh, this defense equipment has these specs and this, this, that doesn't work. Like the human mind is 70,000 years ago, we had no written language. The only way to pass 
info from generation to generation was to tell a story. So, so we're meant to take this image that we have in our head and transmit it to other heads so that they learn from it. Uh, only through the br- storytelling is the only bridge. There's no other bridge. Even writing a book is not a bridge. The book is has to tell a story. Yeah, and I want to. So I heard this is me putting on my my sniper instructor hat. I heard you say I'm insecure, and you don't show up in the world as insecure. So I just want you like, and I think people like we are who we are in the world based on like a collection of observations, right? And I don't think you show up as insecure at all. Well, I think, and that's the self. That's kind of the self talk because yeah, we are our worst enemies at that. I catch myself. We are our worst at, at enemies at it, and but that's why the quicker you can say, "Oh, I'm feeling," so you have the negative feeling, which always yeah. pops up, like, "Oh, I'm feeling insecure." The quicker we could say, "This is a really good chance too." Yeah, is exactly. Then how we learn. So I asked my my daughter this question. A, I'm building a bond with the daughter, so this is a really good chance to build a bond with the daughter, and B. With her response, I'm able to really quickly say, okay, that further confirms my belief, which I've believed in for, for decades, but it further underlines the understanding that storytelling is everything. It's how you, Absolutely. you communicate yeah, so ideas, motivations, products, you know, everything. You could have the best product in the world, but if you don't have a story around it, your 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 business is over. Yeah, absolutely. And so, by the way. Uh, Betsy Morgan has a, a daughter that's close to our daughter's age, but we every time my daughter comes to the city, we do this brunch and then take the girls out for for nails and stuff. So we got to get your daughter in the mix. Oh yeah, and <laughs> um, uh, Betsy, by the way, you mentioned in your book we haven't we haven't talked about her yet on the podcast, but um, I've known her. Um, she was at CBS. I pitched a com- when she was at CBS. I had a company, StockPicker.com, which I pitched to her. She she was the CEO of the Huffington Post when I started writing for the Huffington Post. Then she goes oddly from the Huffington Post to the Blaze, like p- p- completely and opposite I, side I of the political spectrum. I talk about it in Total Focus, where she, the CBS, I think it was Les Moonves himself, who's an amazing guy at at CBS, said, "Why are you leaving to go run a an internet news site? Who's going to read internet? Yeah. who's going to read news on the internet?" <laughs> it was oh like to God. see what's happened today. It's like she's like, "I don't know what to tell you. I'm out of here." And she did great at the Blaze too, uh, yeah. uh, and and it was because of her I ended up on um, on Glenn Beck's show a few times, and, and she's you know, great. Yeah, she's she's a very good person. But um, all right, so so you 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 so you're building up the blog, and oh, how do I make my first dollar? Yeah. Was a question. So I had this experience running this other blog, and and I had advertisers reaching out to me, and personally, personally, because they're like, we can't get hold of anyone. At military.com and they had been acquired by Monster and it was kind of a mess. I'd been up to the headquarters and and I saw like what happens when an acquisition doesn't go well. By the way, 99% of acquisitions do not go well. Yeah. It takes a real special acquirer and acquiree to make an acquisition go well. Even yeah. though, by the way, that sounded like a great idea. Let's take, you know, who doesn't want to hire a highly disciplined returning vet. So it's a great idea for monster.com, which is a hiring company, yeah. to, to purchase a company with a military fan base. But if they don't know what to do with it from that point, it's not about the product, it's about relationships and the people involved. Yeah. And so uh, I saw them trying to advertise on this blog I was running and, and unable to. And so I had some contacts and I, I reached out to them and said, look, I'm about to launch this site. I don't need a bunch of, I'm not looking for a bunch of money, but I think we're going to these are my projection on what we're going to do traffic-wise. 
can you just sign up and give me $500 a month, you know, and commit to a year just to help us launch? And so I went and signed up like 10, 15 of those before we even launched the site. Bam. And that's yeah, what you learn from your real estate thing. Yeah. Like this is <laughs> sign you built up. up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sign it's almost up like you did your own personal Kickstarter of your business. And yeah. that's what people need to do. Yeah, exactly. Like I didn't need to go get money or, or do that. And so, so, so let's repeat it just, just for people listening, because anybody can do this. You had some expertise built up over time, but anybody can really find with a little bit of work, anybody can find some level of expertise and a very niche audience that will love that expertise. You just yeah. have to be a little better than all your readers and you have to be good at storytelling. Then you had then you basically signed up six to ten, whatever you said, people who said, okay, for five hundred dollars a month, we want to put an ad there before you even launched one thing. So now you're in business. Yeah, you're in I business had without spending a dime. These people they they gave me their credit cards and said just charge it every month. And so Man, I love um, it. Can and I, I, can I shout advertise out, on your on your yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Princeton Tech, actually, they make headlamps in New Jersey. They were a big supporter right out of the gate. And still now you talk about paying it forward. We just probably ordered two hundred thousand dollars worth of Princeton Tech product from them on our last um Crate Club. What was the product? Gearbox. It was a really cool oh, headlamp. Okay. It's a wearable headlamp, which is great because your hands free. And it has like a red light if you're camping and don't want to destroy your night vision. These like strobe lights for survival situations. They just make these really cool um, headlamps. You know what I keep thinking about when you tell me these products? This is off focus now. Um, I've been really thinking about the whole concept of gifting. And I don't really own products myself. I'm very much against, for me, for myself personally, I don't like to own things. But I'm a minimalist myself. And I, but I always think when I meet people and I have a good interaction with them, I want to send them a very special, thoughtful gift as opposed to like a box of chocolates or whatever. Yeah. And I keep thinking there's a good gifting business around the, these yeah. things. So uh, that's just something I'm thinking about. Yeah, no, I think there's something there. Definitely. So you start the business and now let's finally, I want to just run by, run sure. down the, the the seven tips of total focus. I've been learning so much though along the way. I had to keep starting and stopping <laughs> you. And you, you've, you've built up this this huge kind of, I don't I don't even want to say military oriented media empire, but let's just call it that for, for a like, second. I, I think it's military outdoor content because we do a lot of things. What Discovery Channel does with their military documentaries, their military storytelling, we do online. We have our, you know, SVOD product, the subscription video on demand, called Softrip TV. We do all our own what, programming. What do, you, what do I get at that? What do I watch? Uh, training cell. It's it's really cool series that follows former special ops guys around the world doing this. It's kind of like dirty jobs, right? So they they were in Hawaii doing jungle warfare, repelling down waterfalls. They were driving rally cars right. one episode. Let me so. give you an idea. Get that, produce that as a show. And it doesn't matter where. Uh, produce it on public access or some like really weird TV <laughs> network that is barely launched and keep the digital rights because they'll do that because they're looking for content. So they just need to fill up, you know, Cablevision's channel 239. I'm, yeah. I'm making this up. And then now that, now that it's officially called a TV show and it's on a cable network, you, you you suddenly open up a great new distribution outlet, which is iTunes TV yeah. section. And so for then nine ninety nine, you can sell all these 
shows. It's a whole new. They won't look at you because you're a website, but yeah. they'll look at you once you're on channel two thirty nine, which is yeah, stupid. You're, but you're spot on, and we're talking to two separate okay companies right now. All yeah, right, publicly traded media businesses. Like they're like same thing because we see the value. Right? Like it's it'll be huge for us. So so okay. So your first thing in total focus is stay focused, which I think people. And this is so important. This is going to be the most important thing we talk about here. People do not know what the word focus means. Yeah, They think it might means only focus on one thing. But it does and it doesn't. And, yep. that, and understanding the gray area there is the key to business success. Yep. So obviously you're focused on your business, but your business has a website, has Crate Club, has a TV thing, makes... For all I know, you make clothes. For all I know, <laughs> no, yeah. you're, I know you're working on. Uh, I don't know if I could say it. We could blur it out. If I can't say, it, you're working on romance novels in the military space. <laughs> so, so you're doing, and and you're probably doing fifty other things. You're very much not focused if you look at it that way. Yeah. What does focus mean? Because I'm the same way. I I run a business in the eight figures. We have a bunch of products. I also do other things that give me personal life satisfaction. And you also have to think about time with family, um, other investments that you're involved in, other friends that you have. So so what does focus mean? Sure. So how I kind of group it together is um, I think it's really important to have a personal plan. And, and what I mean by that is when I plan my year, I, I go... Okay, this is what I want to accomplish in business. This is my per what I want to accomplish in my personal life. This is what I want to accomplish with my family. And I put all these actionable items that I want to accomplish throughout the year under so if if under family, for instance, I had a goal this year, it was a real goal was to visit my grandparents. They're they're in their nineties, they're in Canada, um, in Toronto. And so I put visit grandparents, buy tickets by February first. You know, so there's an actionable item against it, and so I like that. And and people people often say, uh, "Oh, ideas are worthless. Execution is everything." But I think it's really important. What you just did was you tied an idea that was important to you. I want to visit my grandparents to an easy first actionable step. Yeah, and then like take my daughter on a trip to New York, and then I said, you know, again, buy tickets by this date. Or maybe the first thing was like call mom, make sure it's okay, like this schedule the, the the block and then buy tickets by this date. So again, tying an idea, yeah, always be closer to daughter yeah. with several easy action steps, like calling her mom is an easy action step. People it, always think, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with her in this city? I got to keep, I got to keep her happy the whole time. No, just call her mom and see if it's okay. Easy first action step. It's just the difference between being specific and non-specific would be like, a goal would be, I want to be a better person. Well, what the hell does that mean? And what are you going to do to accomplish that? So you, you got to be specific. So I I have my business, personal, family goals, and then I have a five-year kind of, what do I want to be in five years? And that's, you know, I want, like, one of my five-year goals is to own a piece of beachfront real estate in the Caribbean. Like, And I want it in the, you know, either Puerto Rico or U.S. Virgin Islands so my friends can visit me you and Kamal can come down on a three-hour, three-hour nonstop. By the way, be, in Puerto Rico, you don't pay federal taxes. Yeah, that's so a whole other that's your plan. podcast. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but toes in the water, twenty minutes off the airplane, no passport. So that that's part of my five-year goal. So I have this plan, and once you have a a plan, and 
in place. And for me, my business, I have my, I look at it as two separate businesses. I have my books, uh, and then I have my media company, and and now e-commerce business, and both complement each other very well. So, so, so in other words, it's okay um, because. First off, there's a cliche, and it's a cliche for a reason. Men make plans and God laughs. Because if you have a five-year, I mean, I even think about what I thought at, on January 1st, how my year was going to turn out. In almost every single way, it didn't turn out that way. And yet I'm having the time of my life. Yeah. So so shifting is okay. But uh, uh, what you're kind of saying is that uh, focus allows for things that are uh, connected to each other. You, It's... Planting a seed and growing a tree is focused, but all the branches are out of your control. Yeah, it's like it's like taking a trip on an airplane or a ship. You want to you want to have an idea where your destination is going to be, and knowing like when you start the journey, whether it's a year or multi year trip, like the weather's going to change, stuff's going to happen, you're going to have to alter course here and there, but you know ultimately where you want to go. And to me, like that, the destination is having a plan. Like this is a plan that anchors you. And when you have a plan and you know where you want to go in your business, personal, and family life, when you get these opportunities that come in, you can tell right away, is this aligned with where I'm going or is it a a distraction? Uh, Even you and I were talking about doing stuff. I'm like, that actually, it lines up with what I'm doing already. Very, It's easy for me to do. I enjoy it. It lines up. But I have people come to me and say, I want you to sit on the board of this defense company. We're making this new thing. And I'm like, not interested at all. Like but, immediate decline. But let me ask you a question. Like I, um, at the beginning of this year, I had as kind of an enjoyable plan. It wasn't really connected with any business, but but it was and it wasn't. Because for me, I think I like to try new things, learn new skills, and again, bring it, bring that knowledge of, of learning peak performance in another area. I like to bring that back into my business. So my plan in the beginning of this year was I'm going to write a really nice, fun, engaging fiction novel. And it turns out this year is the first year since 2003. At this point, here we are in August or September. Uh, uh, I have no plans at all to write a book and I'm really happy about it because I switched I switched from that plan. How do you how do you reconcile that when things, and I'm doing everything I want to do. Yeah, no. I, I legitimately, I, I decided actually to ramp up this podcast instead. Yeah as a direct replacement of that plan. Yeah, I think it's like I said, like the weather sh- the weather shifted and you trim the sails differently and just changed course slightly. So, that, so, so I had to come up with a broader way of what aligns. Like what aligned for me was that's being fine. In, uh, in doing something media, but something that, I don't know, I felt I could get more risk-reward out of. I think that happens. Like you, you maybe start something and realize, okay, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. So I'm going to change this and sub in something else. I do that, but I, I try and really be specific because um, I also have, it's next year will be to finish my novel, which is about a serial killer on, in, in the military. Um, uh, but I, I know, the premise. but I know I have to, when I put that on my goal sheet, I can't just say write, write it or finish my novel. I need to say, uh, from this day to this day, I'm going to write, you know, five thousand words a day, or, or five or three thousand words a day. And I, I did write that for myself. And then at some point, I decided, you know what? I'm getting a lot of pleasure out of the podcast, and there's a lot of the the, audio, the podcast audience is growing. I'm not sure the novel audience is growing. Not that that should be the deciding factor. You should do what you love, regardless. 
And uh, again, I, I kind of took my specific idea and went a little bit meta above it. Like what I really wanted to do was reach an audience with things I believe in and I can replace out novel and put in podcast. Maybe yeah. that's just me justifying changing the plans no, and not having I, focus. It's okay to change the plan. I don't have any, I've changed the plan. I even had a, this year a goal because uh, I love aviation and uh, you know, flying my own planes. I, I had a goal. I said multi-engine rating or float plane rating by this date. And so I just, I ended up going to Europe and found out on Lake Como, Italy, you're going to put me in the elitist category again. <laughs> you're so but fancy. The, but the oldest, the oldest seaplane club in the world is in Lake Como, Italy. And it's this beautiful lake. And I'm like, all right. And it's actually, it was less expensive for me to go to Italy than Alaska to get my float plane rating. So I'm like, I'm going to go to Italy and like drink, Good wine, eat good meals, and and watch these, you know, beautiful people rock around and, and get my float plane rating and fly to the but south it, of France. But it sounded <laughs> like your action step changed, but not the plan. Yeah, the plan. I just I ended up just by figuring out where I was in the year. I'm like, okay, this is easy for me to execute on. I'm gonna put the multi-engine rating off till till next year. So so I'm just wondering though, like, is it such a good thing to have these five-year plans when you don't really know the future you don't know what is going to inspire you or you're going to like five years from now it's kind of like my friend back to lanny basham he said it was the best and worst day of his life winning the olympic gold medal because he'd never put something out ahead he didn't have something next he's Mm -hmm. like i so the importance of when you're about to reach a major life goal is to particularly when you're so focused he was only focused on marksmanship and the gold medal yeah and then he's like, "Oh, now what?" And it's it's. I listened to an interview with Elon Musk a while back, and they said, "Why this mission to Mars?" And he's like, "I need something that's going to get me up in the morning and motivate me." And he's like, "That's what I chose because I'm but, passionate about it." But he's not just focused on that. He also has. Uh, uh, he just started a, a company, Neuralink. He has Hyperloop. He has Tesla. He's working on solar energy. I'm sure he's working on battery power. So he's focused on many things. Uh, uh, again, I, I, I'm trying to understand, I mean, I know how I do it, but I want a, an easy explanation here of what's the difference between total focus. W- what does it really mean? Because obviously you're not focused. You just, you got your float and in, in, in the bad definition of the word. I, yeah. So, cause you are very focused, but, yeah. uh, you said the the float. You want this float plane rating, and at the same time, you have twenty different divisions of your company. You're not just a website company. And I find people use the word focus in a very negative way. Like, oh no, I'm just a website blogging company, so I can't do video, or I can't do podcast, or I can't launch a crate club thing, um, or get a float plane rating. <laughs> you know, because that would be out of focus. So they take focus to me. They don't. They they take focus to mean too much focus. So where's the, where's the gray area? Where do I decide? Like okay, I'm within the definition of total focus. I mean, the thing too is is important to point out. Like as you have become more successful and have access to more resources, it buys capacity. Like in when I was back in 2012 starting this business, I had I was razor focused on this. I wrote for probably. A month straight, all nighters, writing content to make sure when we launched this website that we had thirty days of content completely scheduled out before we even launched. And so there's times where you could you have to be razor like or laser focused. And then as you 
start to have success. And a guy like Elon Musk has so much capacity because he's a billionaire, and you can buy capacity that way. Um, but it's all—he's also very passionate about what he does. Like that translates and is clear to me. And whether it's Solar City or or um, the you know, and, and they are all connected. I yes. mean, and that's I think important. They are—they all connect because because they're all about. I would say Neuralink might be a little off. That's the one where you put chips in the brain and hook that up to the internet. But let's say let's put that one aside. Hyperloop, SpaceX, Tesla, Solar City, which is now owned by Tesla. Um, they're all about uh, efficient uses of power to extend our ability to travel. Yeah, and cleanly. when you look at what I'm doing in my business and writing, it's all about content, right? And now we're we're monetizing that content differently than advertising through e-commerce, but it's all about content. And so, you know, when you came to me and say, "Hey, let's explore some ideas," and if it's content related, I'm in because I'm doing it already. It's it's aligned with my I call it a swim lane, right? Like as long as it's in my swim lane, then I'm then I'm going to seriously consider that opportunity. I, I think I think important to realize there is that what it sounds like is your swim lane got lar- got wider. So it's not like. Um, like you, you started off in a very narrow swim lane. I'm gonna yep. because because I don't have the capacity for anything else at the moment, and because there's money coming in for this, I'm able to launch a business writing. So I'm gonna write all the time. This is 2012, five years ago. Yep. But as that starts, and you could then hire people to fill out more of the writing, you're able to expand that swim lane. I don't know if this is the right analogy. Swim yeah, lanes don't no, really expand, it's... but uh, uh. You're still you're not jumping into a different pool. Yeah. You're not saying I'm going to start a used car dealership exactly. uh, with the money I'm making from you know my military blog. Because I get those opportunities. I got I get them once a week, mm-hmm. the same way you you probably do. Somebody will come in and say, "You're a sniper. I want you to help me start a training company in the U.S. We're going to take hunters that are spending fifty thousand dollars to go to Africa and and hunt these big game animals." And and I want you to part of this business. I'm going to pay you this, and you're going to be on my board, and this and that. I'm like not interested. I'm right. I'm in the media space, and so in the but, in the media space, that's at first you were your swim lane was you were in the military blogging space. Yeah. It widens out. Uh, now you're in the media space, so so you're able to keep total focus, but you're allowed to widen that swim yeah. lane. And and, learning, and, and 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 I just want to add one thing to that. Sometimes you could do things. That other people might say, uh, "Oh, that's not your focus," and I think, and I, I tend to do this. I do things that people can easily say, "That's not in your focus," and then it's my challenge to connect the dots to make sure it is it back in my focus. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I'm I look at my plan last year, and I have an accountability partner in my my entrepreneurs group, uh, foreign mate uh, Solomon, who started uh, 16 handles in the city, that frozen yogurt chain. Yeah. Solomon and I meet month to month, and we go. Here's my here's my goals. Here's where I'm at, and you know I'm I'm probably seventy percent accomplished what I set out to in 2017 already. So, and I may add more to it, or just go. You know what? I'm going to take a break. Um, I think t- spending time to yourself to think is super important. I take that is very important. Every Wednesday off is blocked. It's called a Brandon day. My assistant. I'm like. Don't let anybody in. It's it's my day to go have lunch with James in the city. You and I go flying. I I'll go have coffee with Kamal. It's my day to think and have like play and get headspace. And and uh, I think it's important. I have a three day week or a three uh, three days off every week. That's really like, important. So and um so 
keep so the next thing in the total focus is keep keenly attuned to everything going on around you. And a lot of that you get from your your seal experience because if you're not aware of like, oh, it looks like there's a farmer uh, 600 yards away, if you're not aware of like everything going on, suddenly he could pull out a gun and shoot you. Yeah. Now, apply that into the business sense. So that's, and I, um, the principle situational awareness in the book, it's in business, it's as simple as reading the world. Like knowing that as an entrepreneur, whatever, domain you choose to to go into in business if it's you know for me it was the media space and, and a, as a publisher of content in 2012 i was 95 percent relying on advertising revenue and over time like reading the industry publications developing a network of people like betsy morgan seeing what's happening in the media landscape especially digital because we were all digital from the start and seeing how I was noticing how disruptive Facebook and Google was to digital advertising. Because you can't, on a TV ad or magazine ad, spend a dollar and make $4 like you can on Facebook. And I saw how the ad agencies in New York City, the big ad agencies, were really upset that Google was like dominating the scene. And so they were like, agencies were standing up these subsidiary trading desk companies that kind of like launder their own clients' money and doing these massive... And then they did these very targeted focus campaigns back to our earlier conversation on audience engagement. It's so key. I saw this lack of... They didn't care about audience engagement anymore. It was about doing these massive programmatic buys and and just getting the eyeballs through the machine through the machine and and I was like seeing by paying attention and seeing what was happening I said you know what we need to go focus on digital subscriptions and get off the advertising revenue because I I don't want to be so reliant on advertising revenue we also had a scare with a big advertiser we did a story about the first transgender navy seal conservative uh, military credit union pulled out all their ads for two weeks mm. and it was seven figures of revenue for us and i said i don't want to be in that situation again either so did um, your did your stomach clench up like it was you, brutal okay <laughs> luckily i had a, i had a contract i couldn't get out of but it still was like it was brutal and you know by reading the world and, and being situational aware we're able to adapt and make moves focus on our digital subscriptions Turn that on. People thought we were crazy to charge, you know, five bucks a month to read our news. Um, you know, now the New York Times is charging a subscription, and so as long as your content is good, which we had good content, we had built up a big enough audience. We did that. Then uh, we had this. We said, okay, what else can we do? And we came up with this e-commerce product, and it was born out of the fact that our audience was asking us advice on. What flashlight should I choose? What's the best tent on the market? What hiking boots are the best? Right. So I think I think listening to demand, like yeah. listen, like for instance, let's say you're in the financial space. Okay, everyone's talking about crypto, good or bad, bubble or not. There's something there that if you're in the financial media space, you need to satisfy the demand for that because people are asking the question, yeah. "What is it?" And I think again that. You know, keeping the umbrella focus, we're in the media business, but then listening to what are people actually asking for. What they're asking for is that's called demand. And yeah. you have to supply. If you don't supply that demand, someone else is going to. And it's probably not going to be as good as your product because you believe in your vision. Yeah. And and seeing 
what's happening in traditional cable, like cable companies, people are cutting the cord every month, same with traditional newspapers. And I said, let's get ahead of that, start our own, you know, SVOD channel, our subscription. Uh, video SVOD? On, uh, subscription video on demand. Mm -hmm. So just like Netflix and HBO. Mm -hmm. Let's start our own and invest in that and grow that because that's going to be extremely valuable to us or potentially a company, a cable company that needs to acquire somebody like us to be relevant in the digital space. And so it's really important to, to see what's going on in the world and because you're going to have to adapt and we took 95% ad revenue in 2012. This year, I think our advertising revenue will represent about 12 to 15% of our, our top line revenue because we now have sustainable, recurring digital and e-commerce subscription revenue. Uh, and we're not, you know, the advertising stuff is gravy. You know, now we're, we're able to pick and choose a premium because they value that we do have an engaged audience. You know, I love the subscription business. And you know what's weird is that Wall Street, like retail investors or even institutional investors, do not like that business. They will, they love the advertising business because it seems like free money without a lot of work. But they don't realize that the advertising business is extremely, I mean, every type of business is volatile. But advertisers, like you just said, they will pull money instantly and subscribers even though it makes your business much smaller because there's fewer subscribers willing to give you a credit card that's a good consistent uh business over time to grow great now th there's definitely sometimes like a tv network relies on advertising you're not going to subscribe to abc but uh uh i think the subscription business more businesses should consider it they don't because they see what are the big companies out there? But those are publicly traded companies and they're responding to Wall Street with their advertising business. I sat down with the CFO at A&E and we had this conversation about them not having a, a direct relationship with their, their customer and the way that we do. You know, I know, you know a lot about my customer and sure. by understanding that relationship better, I'm able to give him or her better content. And so... That's the beauty of having that that subscriber relationship is you have, you know where they live, how much they make, what kind of content they like to consume, what kind of gear they like to buy. So 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 I wanna um uh I wanna get to this other chapter, which I realized actually was I said earlier, Embrace the Suck was my favorite chapter, but I think it's tied with my chapter on practice violence of action. Um, which again probably comes from SEAL terminology. But I can relate to it a lot in the parts of my life which have been most successful. That when when you do something, do it everywhere and do it well, which ties into your other uh, value here, which is hold fast to a standard of absolute excellence. But let's just assume everyone's gonna. Uh, sorry, I wanna I wanna assume two things about that hold fast to a standard of absolute excellence. When you start something, you're not going to be excellent. So hold fast to a standard of learning absolute excellence yep. and then hold fast to the yep. standard of absolute excellence. But assuming you have that, yep. the way I personally practice violence of action is to make sure, let's say for a media business, that I'm everywhere. Everywhere you look, you see me. Someone's talking about the podcast or reading my blogs or reading something else I do or seeing me interviewed somewhere else. And, and I'm everywhere all the time. So not because I'm so great is because I try work really hard and I yep. try to offer value and a message that I think people will respond to. So talk about practice violence of action because I think it's super important for any business. Yeah, it's, you know, what and, I- And any lifestyle. Yeah, how I, and, the, and the term comes from 
a special ops world where you come up with a plan and hit hit the target so fast and furious that the enemy doesn't even have time to react. Like they're overwhelmed, and and you've done it with the, it's that element of surprise, whatever. But you've hit it so hard and so fast that it just can't react. And so I like to apply that to business. And look, I it doesn't mean you're going to have success every time. I've launched I launched a spouse blog for military spouses called The Fence Wife a couple years ago because this bank said, we want a relationship with the military spouse. They control the buying decisions. I'm like, you're absolutely right. Created a good idea for a blog though. Yeah, no, we created it, but it just flopped. Like we didn't execute poorly, but we stood it up, boom, launched it out, had an editor and and it didn't work for us. Mainly because the blog was working, the content was working, but we didn't, the, the bank ended up not coming in and and, and giving us the, the sponsor money for it. So, we killed it, but hey, we stood it up very quickly, found out it wasn't working, and, and then shelved it. Um, so I like to do things, uh, we like to create a plan, execute, adapt. And, and I, think, I think people don't realize how fast they can do something. So, yeah. so uh, you know, it always reminds me of like self-publishing, which is a great, it's been featured a lot on this podcast, but it's just a great analogy that if you want to write a book, don't sit around and wait for a publisher. You could write the book and self-publish it, and it'll do even better in most cases. So, uh, and you could, by the way, and you could write it really fast, like much faster than people think. Yeah, and and so people say that all the time. Um, is like, I can't believe how fast you guys can can move and operate. And I just have implemented that as a as a you know our one of our core values of the business. Like, look, we don't take what other people says. They're they're timelines. Um, we're launching, uh, I'll share this, we're launching a new box category called Continuum. It's life optimized. It's an anti-aging box because nobody's in the category. I'm pas- super passionate about it. We came up with the- No one's in that category? No one's in the category. I can't believe that because that's such a hot topic. People are selling it, but no one's selling it as a subscription. And me, I had to go find, I had to go dig to find content around- you know what's the latest trends and product that's safe and science based, um, like Elysium or Basis is, is is a good one. What's that? It's uh, the guy that studied anti aging his whole career at MIT came up with a, a twice a day supplement, and it's it has to do with like cellular regeneration. And it's digestible. Like I find most supplements are not easily digestible. Yeah, super easily digestible. Take two How's tablets it's a day. Like a, it's like a little liquid cap. Okay. Um, but I take two of them. I notice my fingernails grow like crazy. Really? <laughs> so something's so going on. Oh yeah, something's going on. And oh, um, okay, so in this case, violence of action is you have an idea, anti-aging, and you're like, okay, we're launching it. Here's an ad for it. We'll put it on our site. Here's the first five products. I'll tell we'll you get a bunch of addresses, and bam, we'll send out the I'll box. Tell you exactly that. So we we wanted to find another category, and. We had a couple categories that we thought would do well, but I wanted to pick something I was passionate about, so I knew I would put, you know, hundred percent of my plus of my energy into it. So I chose anti-aging. We came up with the name Continuum, um, ran the IP for the trademark, you know, created a separate LLC. Well, within a week, oh, oh, within one week, Hurricane, the yeah, company. Okay. Within one week, we had the logo, the tagline, the trademark in process. The LLC stood up, and you know this is almost September. We will be live October first with the funnel built, the landing page, the website, some content. Did, did you get any sense? Like, did you go out to your subscribers? If we launch this, who would sign up? No, I did. A, 
I didn't go out to the subscribers directly, but we did. I hired actually had my fifteen uh, year old son. He's great, like a great family analyst. Um, he went out and I had him do a project. I had an intern and came up with enough data to go. Okay, this is this is there's enough data here to support it. Plus, what's my, the data that supported it? Um, just like the the market size, you know, um, that nobody else was in the category of the subscription box space, and you know, it's it's a crowded space now. It's it's very it's a good business model. I, I hear analysts, you know, talking poorly about it all the time. But if you have something of value, like look at Dollar Shave sold to Unilever for a billion dollars. If you have something of value in that space, you're going to do well. And so, how, how do you make a profit with the box? Like, do you just mark up every item in the box? I'll tell you exactly how we're going to do it. So, um, so this box will be live selling in October, pre-selling to, to ship in November. Because well, we had all the fulfillment set up and everything already. Um, we sell the box for um, probably $400 a quarter. So it'll be a quarterly box. And we spend up to two hundred dollars in product in the box, and now and your your added value is curation, book, yeah, curation, curation, and better than better than wholesale margin. So we're so uh, how do you get uh, say that? a four hundred dollar retail box? You have to you have to negotiate with the suppliers. So we want to provide up to four fifty five hundred dollars retail value, and the key on that is Amazon. Amazon is the baseline. You've got to make sure. That no one can go on Amazon and get, because a company, a brand will go, "Wow, well, we this is forty dollar product," and it's some dude on Amazon selling for twenty nine bucks. And can, so, can you sell a a box subscription on Amazon? I'm just curious. You can, you can. On Would Amazon. you consider that? We're actually setting up Amazon store right now. Let, let, let me just take what you just said and make it applicable to a ten year old. So <laughs> I'm ten years old and I want to set up my own subscription box business. And what I can do is every semester or you know quarter or whatever, I have a new set of teachers and textbooks, and I'm going to make a box of the teachers' editions of all your textbooks and send them to all my friends. And I just need five friends, and I'm, I'm going to charge a hundred dollars. I'll go to their parents. I'll charge a hundred dollars <laughs> a month, uh, and here's all the teacher supplements in in each box, or, or hundred dollars a semester, and create this this box. Yeah. And and then go on Kindle, make the get the digital versions for like fifty dollars, and now I have a box. Yeah, and so you know, and we've taken something. It's probably sixty days. We're going from zero to branded product, ready to launch. And you don't need like you you have a huge platform, so you'll you'll sell. But like again, I said in this in this example of the ten year old, you don't even need a huge platform. You can just start off small. It's not that hard to get the box together yeah. and mark it up a little bit because of the curation value that you bring and sell it. Everybody thinks they need, oh, I need 200,000 people on my Twitter following or 300,000 Snapchat or Instagram followers. You don't need these things. You can just first go to your friends and say, hey, I've got this. Tell other people about it. I'll send you um, so my, my, uh, my, my oldest son. He's you know, just came back from Stanford, sent it like, Dad, I want to go to this speech and debate course at Stanford. Came back, he's like, I want to build my own computer because he needs a new computer. So he's just got this inquisitive mind, loves doing analyst work for me. I said, I want to know more about ICOs, this initial coin offering. And I, I read a book on blockchain, but I want to know more about that. And he wrote this you know, very concise, probably three-page in a Word doc paper on blockchain, ICOs, 
And I sent it to my entrepreneur group, and they're like, "I would pay money for this." Type uh, of. I was just going to say to you, "Okay, can you?" And there, there's a ten-year-old kid, right? Like, I'll, it's, I'll pay you money for that. And yeah, I'll it's put like, it on my list. <laughs> you know, just like send it out. Like, and that's how hard is that? You do the research, create something of value, and sell. You know, an electronic document to how many people that really are in business, entrepreneurs that are want to know what cryptocurrency is. How is it potentially going to affect their business? Um, so yeah, I mean, there's another idea. I, I, I told my son, I was like, you should sell, you should sell this. Yeah. Well, for yeah. one thing, why doesn't he just, you know, you know, the great thing about self-publishing is that you don't have to follow the hundred-year rules of publishing. You don't need a 265-page or a 60,000-word book. You could write a five-page book and self-publish on Amazon. I would do that if I were him because yeah. everyone, right? Because there is demand. Everyone's asking the question, Absolutely. what's crypto? There is demand. Why doesn't he show up in the Amazon yeah. search for that? And then that's a good way for him to sell his his report. Yeah, I'm going to talk to him about it. So, so there's other things that are really important. I think actually people should read the book just to hear all your stories about these things. But every one of these are important. Like honor and value your team is obviously Maybe that actually is the most important. I keep saying each one's the most important, but that leading from the front, which is another way of saying, you know, you have skin in the game. Yeah. That's really important. Important enough that, uh, you know, one of my favorite authors, Nassim Taleb, is writing a book called Skin in the Game. You know, that's how important that, that concept is. Um, you know, and I think we I think we spoke about, uh, you know, the other things, but I think, look, you've got to read Total Focus because what's really interesting to me about this book is... Business is not about finding that great product and suddenly selling it and making millions of dollars. Or if it is, those are the fluke businesses. Business is about following these kind of standards of total focus, these different attributes of total focus, really understanding at a subtle level what the word focus and what the word excellence means, which you describe through many stories in this book. And it all comes together in terms of servicing the various stakeholders. Like you talk about how are you you're gonna deal with advertisers, customers, subscribers, uh, uh, you know, again, your employees, all these things at the same time. How are you gonna expand in different ways that still kind of align with your mission? We all go through that. I'm going through that with with my uh, business right now. And I, I think this is just these are the kind of the things that people don't learn even in business school. Yeah. Like in business school, they learn oh, here's how marketing works. Here's how management theory works. That stuff is is gone now. Like this is business 101 right yeah. here. Um, tell me, does your your business, how, how big is it right now? Like how many employees do you have? We've got about 40 full-time employees and we've got, I would say on the part-time, just from a content contributor standpoint, maybe you know, 20, 30, 1099 content contributors, like professionals that contribute to our content on a regular basis. And um and we're, you know, we you have a board we went of from seven to eight figures this year. We had two hundred percent growth. Um, That's great. A, I don't you know, just my own personal philosophy, I don't like I don't like a formal board. I think it creates bureaucracy, but I have a board of advisors, you know, Betsy is on there, Kamal, Matt Meeker, a lot of interview me right now. I want to be on your board of advisors. How how can you interview me? I I, I, mean, I can I don't provide even have value. To interview. I would put you on in a heartbeat. <laughs> All right, I'm on because yeah, I I no believe in this and I, and I and I believe also that I would love it. I mean, um, I I've written about my feelings about war and, and all that stuff before. I know I know you agree, uh, uh, but I just think there, there I don't I I will never say it's a shame the way the U.S. 
treats its returning vets because I don't think vets should rely on the government uh, that sent them off to kill kids in Afghanistan. Stop relying on them already. Yeah. Not that the government's bad or good. I just think you can rely on yourself and get much better results. I agree. So, so I agree with what you're... The, the premise of your mission and and I think it's exciting. I think there's there's an exciting area and I love watching the business grow and you doing all these books and, and our friendship and so on. So count me in. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. So so I encourage people to read the book. Uh Brandon Webb, once again, thanks for coming on the podcast. I hope yeah, you come on many more times. We'll talk about military romance <laughs> the, the next time when that yeah. series comes out. Thanks, Brandon. For more from James, check out The James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Hey, thanks for listening. Listen, I have a big favor to ask you and it will only take 30 seconds or less and it would mean a huge amount to me. If you like this podcast, please let me know. Please let the team I work with know. Please let my guests know. And you can do this easily by subscribing to the podcast probably the biggest favor you could do for me right now. And it's really simple. Just go to iTunes, search for the James Altucher show and click subscribe. Again, it will only take you 30 seconds or less. And if you subscribe now, it will really help me out a lot. Thanks again. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.